Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me as always are my two co-hosts. I'm Hua Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and pop culture journalist in D.C. And I am Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News. And we have someone in our fourth special chair today as one of my closest friends here in Los Angeles. This is Cristala. Say hello. Hi, uh, my name is Cristala, and I am a marketer in the fandom and nerd space. She is. She's good at that shit. <laughs> um, and she also loves romantic comedies. I do. Like, more than anyone I know. Which ever. is what we'll be talking about today. Rom-coms. <laughs> yes. Um, but before we get into our discussion about rom-coms and their uh, current revival, as we've been calling it, let's take a word from our sponsors. The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by Romance. Romance. Swipe right on that hot man or woman or non-binary person that you want to get in touch with. Romance. Brought to you by anything, really. (laughs) All right. So that's a great way to start off our discussion about rom-coms. So why are we talking about rom-coms now after we, two years ago, talked about how they were seemingly dead in the dust? Uh, because this summer has been the year of the rom-com, you might say. Uh, they've started to come back, first in the form of uh, Netflix, straight-to-Netflix films such as Set It Up, um, The Kissing Booth, All the Boys I Loved Before, and then in the theaters with most recently Crazy Rich Asians and independently uh, Juliet Naked. Is this the beginning for a new revival, a renaissance of rom-com movies after they disappeared for the past about 10 years? Um, could we see be, be seeing a new type of, type of rom-com as well? Uh, I'm, how excited are you guys that we're going to be seeing rom-coms again, hopefully more in the future? I'm just so I'm very so excited, excited that we get to do like a sequel another sequel to one of our episodes because we've been going for so long that we start to get to answer some of these questions like it's true will will HT and Anya ever become horror fans will we ever find out what happened to the rom-com find out in 2 years and we have both those questions have been answered yeah just wild yeah BuzzFeed Unsolved whomst? <laughs> so, uh, Cristala, I wanted to hear first from you uh, what your uh, love for is for the rom-com genre. Why do you love it? And what do you think about this current uh, renaissance of rom-coms? Sure. I mean, I <clears throat> I love rom-coms because I like the way they make me feel. Um, I feel like something that's so specific to rom-coms. I mean, other movies can make, you, make this happen for you, too. But I feel like... No movies give you butterflies the way rom-coms do. And I just um, I just love that sort of, like, intense feeling that I get about, like... I mean, I'm a total fangirl. So, like, when I see two people on screen that have insane chemistry, I'm like, oh, my God. And I just, like, ship them like crazy, and then it, it's great. Um, so I just... I really love that. And I, you know, rom-coms can be super formulaic, but to me that's great because it's it's relaxing in a sense because you, you know what to expect and you know that it's going to end a certain way. And um, I just... I, I think part of that is just a comfort to me. It's like a comfort blanket. Um, So I love that. And uh, I am so excited for the resurgence of rom-coms because I just feel like for so long they were sort of treated like not worthy as if like audiences, like if, if they loved them and there was like, Oh, they were just like some crazy like cat lady or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that there was sort of for women, right? Because, Mm -hmm. right. Because, you know, typically they're for women. And so they're judged in a way that, you know, is unfair because they're marketed and geared towards women. And so um, I'm just very excited. I'm very excited that a lot of these new ones are more diverse and have, you know, are opening that genre up to people that didn't get to experience that before. So, yeah, I definitely it reminds me. Of, it reminds me of like the talk about horror where like with elevated horror versus like normal horror and whatnot. And like the, like, like horror fans have liked horror all along. And then there's like new fans who are coming in who are like talking about how, like the difference between this and like the like other movies and like I feel like it's a very similar conversation with that in rom coms where like like these movies have always been around but like now they're like there's like 
more critically acclaimed ones or something. And so, like, this is, like, resurgence in both horror and rom-coms. I think it's Mm -hmm. actually a shift in what audiences are looking for in movies right now. Totally. Definitely, it has to do with the political and social, like, atmosphere that's happening where everything in the world is kind of horrible. And we're returning to a need for escapism in the movies. I think um, for a long time, like, the past, like, decade where we had a a big scarcity of rom-coms, we were go under we're going through this really like phase of irony and not and grittiness and not dark. Wanting, yeah and not wanting to be earnest and you know rom-coms are just overflowing with their earnestness and th- their sincerity and that was deemed uncool and i think that you know earnestness is hip again it's coming back and it's because we want to escape from the the horribleness of our real world into the fantasy that is rom-com because rom-com i feel like is at its basics uh mostly mostly just a fantasy it's an escape for that for us exactly willoughby i was wondering um given that rom-com is like generally seen as a female genre Mm -hmm. which is dumb in and of itself um but i wonder as the sole man in this episode um what was your previous relationship with rom-coms and so i know you've seen crazy rotations and you really liked it You saw The Big Sick, which we can talk about how it's not a rom-com, but people bill it as it, but you still enjoyed it. Um, Just, like, what was your relationship with rom-coms before this kind of revival? Um, I mean, still pretty minimal. I'd say, like, even with this, like, revival, it's, you know, I I haven't watched, what was it, The Kissing Booth? Yeah, I heard it's bad, though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that's, that's the other thing is like if if like um if like there's a rom com and people just like don't watch it at all, it's bad. I'll be like, okay, I won't. But for I mean, yeah, like I am definitely a product of gendered marketing. I never and I never really watched rom coms growing up. So the um, classics, like, you know, the Tom Hanks days, the McGrind days, the Hugh Grant days, like, those were never your, you never... No, I have seen When Harry Met Sally, but the only reason I great. watched... Well, yeah, it's great. The only reason I watched it for the first time ever was in 2012 when we were taking a script writing class, and we had the time to watch the movie in the entire block class. That's so, really like, good. I totally really also good. watched a scene of it in at AU. That, yeah, that's the thing. We were yeah. gonna watch. We were only gonna watch a scene of it, but we had so much time, and we didn't really have a. A, a, like a structure for the rest of the of the of the class that the teacher was just like why don't we just watch the whole movie and everyone was like hell yeah so like we paused we went to eagle's nest we got food and we came <laughs> back and we watched the full movie in our script writing class because like the script writing class was like two hours two and a half hours and the movie's only an hour and a half so like we had the time it was great um so but that was the only reason why i watched that for the first time and i hadn't seen it before so, like, my rom-com experience is incredibly limited just because I never really went out seeking for it. And when I did seek out it, it was usually, like, rom- like the indie rom-coms, the ones that are more, like, geared towards, I guess, the male perspective. Like the 500 and Days of Summer of the world? The 500 mm-hmm. Days of Summer, the Garden State, I have, in like... The uh, Judd like, Apatow repertoire. Mm-hmm. I have not actually, really, I have opinions really, about Judd Apatow. I do, not, Apatow. I do not see Willoughby as a Judd Apatow. Willoughby's, like, too, like, earnest and yeah. sweet and, like... Yeah, to be a Judd Apatow guy. Which which movies are you? Would you would you be talking about with the Judd Apatow ones? Um, Knocked up. uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall is kind of in the Judd Apatow. Forty year old virgin. Forty year old virgin. So so I've seen those. I of those. I like uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall the most. Everyone does. And and then and then I think I would say and then this isn't a rom com, but I I like I love you, man, which is a like a rom com, Uh, (laughs) uh, and. But yeah, but like, yeah, like you guys, you guys listed off like the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movies or the Hugh Grant movies, like these, like just growing up never really super appealed to me. And I think it was just because like, I never really had a reason or like wanted to watch them. Um, Probably due to the, you know, like the, the ways men in society are grown up. To, and like, the way that movies, to... these movies are dismissed as like chick flicks. Exactly. exactly, exactly. Like I Do won't. Think... I can't. I can't excuse that. Like as a younger teenager, I didn't want to. Wa- I can't say like I didn't want to watch them because they were chick flips. Like I was like, I, I don't want to. You know, like I didn't want to watch them. But now, like I'm a lot more susceptible, like uh, receptive to watching them. Um, yeah. But as as like 
a 13 year old 14 year old what appealed to me was watching like garden state and then later like 500 days of summer and like 500 days of summer which arguably subverts a lot of expectations and like shows you how terrible uh uh, what's his name? Uh, J- uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is, um, mm-hmm. like that's helpful as a, as like a man to to like see that yeah. and to see those like tropes like taken down. Um, but yeah, like my whole thing growing up was not romance, rom- romantic comedies. But like when I did watch them, when I watched the ones that I did like, I liked them and mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Um, I really liked when Harry met Sally. Like I, it's so know, good. Yeah, and like the, the the recent rom coms that we're going to talk about. Like I really liked all of those. Um, well, so let me. So with the recent rom coms in this Renaissance, like, do we think they're still as gendered, or do you think we're kind of breaking down some of those barriers? So I don't know because I <laughs> like. <laughs> Well, I guess it, I don't know because I haven't. I never really saw the marketing for um, uh, to all the boys I've loved before because Netflix just kind of plops things down and says, "Here's a new movie. Go watch it." Yeah, um, it's wild. Yeah, and I think a lot of their marketing takes place after it's already aired than it does oh, before. Oh, it I airs. definitely, I definitely believe that Netflix and BuzzFeed have like some sort of conspiracy <laughs> because they. <laughs> Like the minute that to all the boys I love before, suddenly like BuzzFeed was posting so many articles about the character, about the actors and stuff, and so I was like, okay, they definitely had something prepared there. Um, but like Crazy Rich Asians, I've I saw the trailer for the movie, but like maybe it's because I also have ad block, I don't see a lot of ads except for like trailers and stuff or see, stuff I seek out. So like, I a lot of times when it comes to romantic comedies, I will like hear it from you guys talking yeah. about like the latest romantic comedy that you guys watched it's not really something i still seek out but like yeah from my perspective like i think i can't definitively say that they're still marketed in such uh socially constructed terms yeah yeah um, well chris chrisella you're as like the one of the big rom-com fans i know like does it still feel the same gendered norms to you as like you had the 90s era and then the early 2000s era of rom-coms, which were both very gendered eras right. of rom-coms. Does it feel similar to you now, or does it feel different? What do you do? You mean, like, in the sense of the fact that, like, you know, it's very heteronormative and, like, that kind of, well, or just, like, the marketing? Not, not or... so much the diversity of, like, the stories mm-hmm. themselves, which mm-hmm. we can get to, but, like, the marketing and that, like, in the 90s and 2000s, it was very much like, this is a movie for women to go see this weekend. Yeah, I don't, right. I like, think... Like, counter-programming to, like, the, the Dark Knight was Mama. Right. Yeah. No, I think... I think it's expanded in a sense that, like, we're calling women out less and we're making, we're, you know, I think the message is more about take your families, everybody can enjoy this. Like, I think that was definitely the case for Crazy Rich Asians. I think it was marketed in a way that it wasn't about women so much. I think it was also very targeted towards Asians and Asian Americans. But I think, like, in terms of the language, like, to all the boys I've loved before, I think it was very much um, about, like, a high school experience versus a gendered experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I know plenty of men that have watched to all the boys I've loved before and who have loved it. Um, so I think it's, I think we are seeing a little bit of an uh, expansion on who sort of is being targeted. I think part of that is because our understanding of gender and appreciation for things that like women have in the past been targeted with has expanded a little bit. I mean, I think obviously we have a long ways to go, but I do think, um, we're seeing a little less pink and a little less, um, and, and even if we are, that, like, people are responding to that, everybody's responding to that versus just women responding to, like, certain colors or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it, I think it's more, like, we've changed, like, the, the, the market that they're targeting because, like, millennials, for us, like, we have grown up in a different understanding of, of gender than maybe, you know, the decades before us and the generations before us. And so I think we're a little bit more open to other things, and I think that's why it feels a little less targeted, but... And even if something is, like, geared towards women primarily now, it's meant to be, like, celebrated and not, like, pushed aside. Right. Yeah. Very much. I think we're getting there. I don't yeah. think we're there quite like yet, with, but I think we're like, getting there. Like, Ocean's 8 was not pushed aside. It was very much heavily marketed as, like, this yeah. is a, a movie, like, for women, about women, and, like, the men right. still like, saw it. on, because, like, women are badass. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think the buzz and, like, 
film Twitter specifically is becoming less gendered. Like they, like a a lot of like male film critics and people are becoming more receptive to rom-coms and to female led projects. And I think that's really encouraging. At least the ones we follow. Yes, that's true. But look at Rotten Tomatoes. Like to all the boys I've loved before still has like in the 90s percent Mm -hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes. So, Mm -hmm. and up until recently Rotten Tomatoes was primarily male. They just had that like, big push of like adding like 200 some on more like diverse voices Mm -hmm. yeah or something but like yeah but i think (laughs) it's a really encouraging shift uh that we've had in recent years to uh everyone becoming more receptive to rom-coms rather than like in the in the mid-2000s when we had i'm gonna rant a little bit about the judd apatow era so (laughs) because the early 2000s was not a good era i don't care what and to me i honestly don't consider any of those rom-coms in my opinion uh, that, like, like, I, knocked up and stuff. Yeah. Knocked up is to me is not a rom com. What I think is Heigl McConaughey. Yeah. Yes. What yes. I see it is as Judd Apatow taking the genre of the rom com and turning it into something more uh, acceptable to male audiences by turning mm-hmm. it into the rom com. Essentially, I like to call all these movies like the rom comedy because yeah, no, that's the tropes yeah. of like the rom coms. But it basically makes it more just like broy and uh, acceptable to men and it makes it like it really ups like the whole like the stoner comedy as well as the bromance elements of it. Like we have right, the like whole yeah, exactly. So it's like it was in- and it was an interesting shift for me, and I think that was like part of the reasons that the rom-com kind of got killed dead in the mid-2000s because we saw this uh, rise in popularity of the rom-com and the uh, idea that the rom-com itself was like no longer cool unless it had raunchy, com- uh, raunchy elements. And um, I kind of, I, I partly blame Judd Apatow, Apatow on this, even though some of these films are good. It just feels like there is no, um, there is like this dismissal of rom-com itself as being like not cool enough for wide audiences so and like i think like you know some of us some people do blame katherine heigl for being like the last rom-com star and for kind of killing that genre dead but i, um, I have no problem saying that <laughs> i think it's sort of a uh a left a spillover from the judd apatow movies yes. and her starring in like these as these shrewish uh characters who are you know the the straight man, like the the foil, the uh, the um, the Debbie Downers to the the men who want to just like have fun and, and smoke a lot of pot and stuff, and um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yes. basically, I mean, like the ugly truth is a movie that exists. Yeah. yeah. But honestly, I don't totally, I don't totally blame Catherine Heigl because she actually did kind of step up and say, like, you know, my character was a shrew and knocked up, and yet she kept getting relegated and stuck with these roles. I do feel kind of bad for her that she is the one blamed for this, when I feel like it's more on the part of Jed Apatow and the sort of fandom surrounding him. Yeah, don't blame... Don't blame the cast. Blame the people who cast. Yeah, them. I mean, I don't, yeah. it's like Catherine Heigl's fault. I just cite her as like that's like the time period. It's yeah. like her movie time period is when it started to go downhill. Yes, not her fault, but just that was the era. Right. Yeah, yeah. I still love was... Life as We Know It and Killers with Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> I've only seen oh, Killers yeah. on cable, and it's surprisingly I remember enjoyable. Seeing ads for killers and getting it mixed up with night and day with tom they, cruise and cameron diaz at the same time. yeah did yeah. they yeah that's like an armageddon and uh deep impact scenario so i really have always disliked this uh disparity between rom-coms and uh rom-coms and also just like more classically accepted rom-coms that are considered classics like when harry met sally um and that they only become classics because they don't give in to like the more feminine frills of the genre when in fact rom-coms have always been a cornerstone of cinema uh when you go back in time to early days of the screwball comedy those are rom-coms the Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn days, Spencer Tracy days. They are rom-coms and they are considered classics, but they, because men are so afraid of the, of the label of rom-com, they label them screwball comedies or they label them like male oriented raunch comedies. So it's just like, it upsets me that there's like this whole, you know, stigma around the genre and we try to add a spin on it i don't mind adding spin on spins on it i still consider these rom-coms to an extent i just don't think that they should be mislabeled like relabeled and repackaged so that they're more widely accepted to audiences and yes i do love like the really cheesy frilly rom-coms but i do think that like we can expand our definitions of these and accept so that everyone can you know realize that rom-com can be for everyone let me just say, as a man, 
masculinity is a prison, and it takes a long time to break out. True, but once you do and you can accept to enjoy the rom-com, your life will be so much better for it. Rom-coms make life better. Yeah. They do. I think that on the flip side, HT, of what you were saying Mm -hmm. is, like, movies that are made with, like, female protagonists and Mm -hmm. with, like, a female audience in mind automatically become rom-coms, like Mean Girls. Like, the amount of times I see Mean Girls on a rom-com list, and I'm like, that is not a rom-com. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I, I think I think that's interesting because I do feel like there's a flip side to that with other movies. <clears throat> Excuse me. So. That's true. I think there's, you could have romance in a movie that's also a comedy, but that doesn't necessarily make it a romantic comedy. Exactly. This is, why, this is what we get back to. Um, so going into, like, our more modern era, like, The Big Sick, which everyone hailed as kind of like a comeback of the rom-com. Which, The Big Sick is a great movie. It it's is very wonderful. good. Mm-hmm. I love, love it. We love it at Millennial Falcon. For me, it's not a rom-com. Because, for a few reasons. Because, like, for me, a rom-com has to have, like, the romance has to be kind of the driving plot. And it, it is, in a sense, but it becomes, like, a family dramedy mm-hmm. yeah. more than a rom-com. And we talked about this in our review, but, like... I, I really need that butterflies in your stomach moment mm. for me to, like, really love a rom-com. Same. I haven't seen Juliet Naked yet. I'm seeing it um, later today. Fortunately, didn't get to it for the podcast. But when I watched the trailer for it and there's, like, a scene of uh, Rose Byrne and Ethan Hawke about to kiss, I got butterflies from that in the trailer. <laughs> and I got no butterflies in The Big Sick. I would, I would argue, not argue against you, but I would argue The Big Sick takes is not exactly a romantic comedy but it's one of those like comedies that has a romance in it exactly um, right because it has it has a meet has a meet cute between kumail and emily and that's great but what happens is kind of they subvert everything and that's not exactly subvert but just like they don't do the typical romantic comedy tropes and so and because it because it does take such an interesting story development in which you know spoilers for the big fish and real li- big sick and real life emily has to be put into a coma for like an illness she doesn't like no one can figure out and so like for most of the mo- movie it's kumail and uh holly hunter and ray romano her parents it like basically like interacting and character development through that and by the end of it like like it's like she, Emily really is only a character in the beginning and the end of the movie, and throughout the whole middle part, you're learning more about her through her parents and through Kumail, and it's definitely I wouldn't say a rom com, but I feel like for marketers and for like ad, for people or reviews who are, and like people who are trying to like sell the movie, they're set, they're trying to put it into a category that I don't think it easily fits into anything other than what you said, Anya, which was like family dramedy. That's not not easily sellable, because if people see like family dramedy, they're like, oh, it's going to be a bummer? Yeah, it fits more of the structure of what I've seen in like independent indie movies that Mm -hmm. have rom-com flavors to them, but never are still so afraid of kind of giving in to those really sweet and earnest emotions. They try to be very aloof and ironic. I think The Big Sick is much more in tune with its emotions, which I liked. But yes, I agree with Anya. I think we talked about this in our Big Sick review. That we didn't get the heart-fluttering feelings, so it just didn't feel like that rom-com. Yeah, and because Kumail, as a person, is a self-admitted lover of Mm rom-coms, like he adores rom-coms, people just automatically put it as a rom-com because of his own like predilection for them and i think you know like you know they can't be like well like they couldn't have made her more of a character because this is based on their true story and i'm like yeah but that doesn't mean it's a wrong like they had to just because it's a true story and like she had to be in a coma doesn't like you can't my train of thought went nowhere just now (laughs) okay chrysala please (laughs) Well, I think, like, to Willoughby's point about, like, it doesn't really play into the tropes, I think, for me, what is so great about rom-coms is that they celebrate those tropes and those fun meet-cutes and, and, you know, all these things that fans are writing about when they write fanfic and things like that, like, laying into these, like, story tropes that 
um, really helps celebrate relationships in weird and fun ways. And I, to me, like that is a central tenant of a rom-com. And that's part of what I love so much about it. When I mentioned like the formulaic aspect of them, it's because they're playing into these tropes that we've seen time and time again, but in an elevated sense, because, you know, they're just celebrating that, I guess, in my, in my, yeah, yeah I, I agree. Yeah. Are we spoiling movies that have come out in theaters recently? Uh, we won't spoil them, but we can get into okay. like the vague plot details of them. I want to. I, I just want to say, there's a moment at the end of Crazy Rich Asians, which which is very formulaic and like, at, you know, like on an airplane, and I was like, I got butterflies because I was like, oh shit! And a re- and that actually wasn't supposed to happen. That's not how the scene was originally written. It was written way more, way less. Um, dynamic so trope like the the um the big oh god the big gesture like that yeah. that whole thing yeah. of the um, yes the regular yeah. yeah it was written way less in that way yeah and they decided i think it was like day of that they were like no this has to change yeah um and then that's why it is sort of a bigger moment in the film that will give you butterflies which i'm so glad that they made that change um and i think it worked because it was like i knew i knew that was going to be like what, what happens i was like it still like got me i was like oh shit yeah, yeah, and I that's, think that uh, that's a good rom com. Yeah, and I think that Netflix and the newer uh, rom coms that we're seeing with Crazy Rich Asians, especially, are really leaning into the formula of it, and people are enjoying it. I think yes. that um, despite Big Sick not being a total rom com, it did kind of sh- prove that there is an audience for for that because they came into the movie wanting to see a rom com. They got a great movie uh, instead, but there was an audience for of people who want to see people fall in love and laugh at it and. Jo- cry and have, to- have joy out of it. So um, with Netflix especially, their movies are basically like a, th- a complete throwback to the rom-coms of the 90s and the early 2000s that made us feel those butterflies. And the Netflix movies don't really do anything new or spectacular with it, except for perhaps To All the Boys I Loved Before, uh, who has an Asian-American protagonist. But uh, Set It Up, for example, was hailed as like this really great return to the, the ni- 90s rom-coms of old, and yet doesn't really do anything that we haven't seen before. It's just wholly based off of the charisma of our two leads, which is really what drives rom-coms. And the fact that, Absolutely. like, it's Beautifully so, there's said. so many, there's so many fun uh, throwbacks and fun, like, tropes and formulaic things that we've seen. And it's just, it's so fun to see it happen over again. It's like a, a warm blanket that you can return to every time. That's what a rom-com is, in a sense. Yes. Yeah, and I think... Set... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think, like... We're talking about all, like, how rom-coms are formulaic and they're tropey, and I think also that doesn't mean that, like, tropes can't be, like, played with, in a way, (laughs) but I think the, kind of, the rule here is that, like, you know, the whole idea of, like, you have to, like, play by the rules to break them, or, like, you know, know the rules to break them, Um, and so I think that's the thing with rom-coms, is if you are going to, kind of, push the boundaries of what is considered a rom-com and stuff, you need to know the rules of the genre first, and then you can start bending them a little more to your will. Um, but then on the other hand, I don't think there's anything wrong with the formulaic, straight-up tropey ones. That's the thing with me as a filmmaker and, like, a lover of films. I think, you know, it's okay to have cliches in a movie because cliches are cliches for a reason. And I feel like, you know, tropes and, and these, like, you know, like, story points, like, I, I, I think... One of the thing that gets me when people review films is that they don't like certain movies or certain p- parts of movies because they were predictable. And I kind of want to push back against that idea because I think it's okay for movies to be predictable. Because as long as a movie does it well, I think you could still be astonished by the level of craftsman- craftsmanship in yes. a predictable movie. Because mm-hmm. I feel like, Willoughby. Because yeah. I, I like, like with, uh, like the like what we were saying about the very end, Crazy Rich Asians. I was like. You know, like, oh, I was, like, I saw that coming, but also, like, I was okay that I saw that mm-hmm. coming, and was, like, wowed by it, and, like, very excited for it, and, like, I think that people are, like, well, the movie was super predictable, I was, like, what? Okay! Like, is it, was it bad? No, well, it was like predictable. Stories, it's, like, okay. Stories in and of themselves are predictable. Like, stories mm-hmm. have existed for right. centuries. There's, no original, and, like, there's we, no original story anymore. We know how, like, storytelling works, and, like, yeah, you can try your whole, like, mystery box thing, and, like, Sure, there are going to be stories, you know, like HBO Sharp Objects where you might not see things coming, but that's, like, you know, meant to be a thriller and all that. But, like, at the end of the day, it still also plays into familiar tropes of mysteries and thrillers. And, like, we know how stories unfold. Like, we're not... 
Right. At least I, I'm not going into like books or movies being like, I hope that I know none of what's coming and I don't recognize anything in this film because storytelling is. And yeah, I, I like think that's a wrong way of watching movies, and because you're not yeah. allowing yourself to be, uh, just like yeah. to to be enveloped it's, in this story. Yeah, you know? yeah. you're it's still like, like the, distant. It's, from it's it. like the the redditization of movies mm-hmm. where they're like trying to pick apart like. I know Westworld isn't a movie, but like trying to pick apart Westworld, where I'm like just just enjoy the story, and if it's predictable or if it's unpredictable, who cares? Did they tell did they tell the story correctly or or good? Like that's what I need to know. Yeah, I and hate so, that like, edgy approach of oh, yeah. it was predictable. There was a plot hole here. Speaking of, so, shout oh, out to um, Patrick yeah, Willem's holes. great video about plot holes and how oh, so just good. shut up talking about plot holes because it's so good and it really gets down to what a lot of our arguments about rom coms are because it's full of plot holes. It's full of cliches and predictable twists but who cares like i think sorry i was just gonna i think what's so special about the audience reaction to to all the boys i've loved before is that nobody's talking about the predictability of it they're talking about the little nuanced moments in the film between the actors or the choices that were made and like that's where they're they're spending so much of their energy on it's not you know okay we knew they were in a fake dating trope and like whatever and they were probably going to fall in love anyway but like that like that's yeah that's the expected part but it's a given right but the but the nuance of like the choices and the chemistry and like that's where the audience is spending so much of its energy and to me that's what's exciting to watch it's not like yeah well like you know whatever it's the same thing we've seen over and over again no it's like the celebration of the characters and the love the actors right exactly exactly it's like you think like um one of my favorite like recent rom-coms which kind of was a little bit before the renaissance that we're having now but i think kind of maybe helped it a little bit maybe is bridget jones's baby Mm -hmm. which is such a good movie um and the idea that like bridget is in a love triangle like you know she's gonna pick mark darcy like that's not there's no, like, there's no, question. There's no like cliffhanger of, like, oh, my God, I'm going to pick Patrick Dempsey or Colin Firth. Like, obviously, she's going to pick Colin Firth. But you're not watching it edge of your seat wondering who Bridget's going to pick. You're watching it because we love these characters. The acting is great. It's a well-told story, and it's a celebration of women and... And motherhood. Yeah, and motherhood. Yeah. And it's just a well-made and well-told story. And there's nothing wrong with that. Agreed. In fact, that's something that should be celebrated. Yeah, agreed. And I really miss the days when um, our biggest stars of Hollywood were starring in, in rom-coms. I, um, you know, Julia Roberts, for example, was Hollywood's sweetheart for a long time. And Meg Ryan before her, they were the ones who were the biggest stars and the people that pe- the people that the audiences fell in love with over and over again through these rom-coms. And yet we have nowadays none of the big stars like Emma Stone or Jennifer Lawrence really starring in rom-coms anymore. Do you guys wish, uh, hope to see maybe a return to that? Because I remember I remember watching Set It Up and thinking that uh, Zoe Deutsch was so good in it. And she has that star quality that makes you really fall in love with her. And I, I wish I could see more of that because I feel like I don't really fall in love with the the actors as much anymore as I do with like you know the, the story or the characters I would say like Glenn Powell is probably on his way to being a star mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um which because he's like been cast in Top Gun 2 and other movies I think he's in a recent movie that's coming out oh he's in that movie that Lonnie was talking about the Guernsey literary uh and potato peel pie society yeah I saw the trailer for that and he was in it it's, I was like, such, hey, a cute, Paul. it's such a cute movie and it's like a period rom-com yeah mm-hmm. it's great and he he plays like the like the married guy like the the uh, like the first guy. Yes, he plays the first guy with the, for Lily James. So like he plays he plays the uh oh who what, who's the actor who always gets like Bill Pullman shoved in? no <laughs> or James Marsden <laughs> James Marsden he plays yeah. the James Marsden of this movie he is the James Marsden absolutely so. <laughs> which is fine by me because um I like how that movie ends and who she ends up with so. Whoops. Um, But, yeah. Well, I think it's interesting because I think, unfortunately, a lot of young actors today take themselves way too seriously in terms of the projects that they choose because, for whatever reason, they think that's the only thing that will get them critical acclaim. But then you look at, like, the Reese Witherspoons of the world who, like, started in a lot of rom-coms, got an Oscar, and went back to rom-coms because she has Home Again. You know what I mean? I think, like, she's somebody that's a perfect example of, like, your career doesn't have to be derailed by picking fun 
movies that, you know, people will enjoy. Um, so, you know, I would absolutely love to see that. But I think, unfortunately, uh, for whatever reason, the way that they've been brought up in this industry, whether it's with their agents or whatever, that they've been told, like, you unfortunately will, like, lose your, you know, a potential to get at this movie that will get you an Oscar nomination if you do this rom-com or something. And I, I do miss that sort of, like, carefree attitude towards the projects that they're picking. I mean, the same thing with Jennifer Aniston. I mean, she's never been shy to pick fun movies. Um, I mean, sure, she doesn't have an Oscar, but, you know, she's still not shy to to be a part of, you know, those movies geared towards women. Yeah. That's why I, I like, her- um, that's why I like too, that, uh, for example, you know, Reese Witherspoon going back to rom-coms and we're seeing some older, older actors do that too with Ethan Hawke, with Juliet Naked mm-hmm. and then Destination Wedding with Keanu yeah, Reeves and Winona Ryder. And, uh, they've, uh, Winona, has she done a rom-com before? She has. Um, well, she kind of, like, she, semi-rom-com with Mr. Deeds. Um, reality Bites oh, is, like, Mr. Deeds. kind of, but not really. Mr. Deeds. <laughs> oh, let's not even get started into Adam Sandler's yeah. romantic no, no. comedy career. Although, just oh, go with boy. This, kind of this rom-com <laughs> episode um, uh, does not acknowledge the presence of Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> He's done, like, four movies with Drew Barrymore, and it's wild. Okay, well, I, I'm going to say I enjoy Fifty First Dates. I think that's a fun, good movie, except for, you know, uh, what's his name? Rob Schneider's, like, racist depiction of... Uh, Rob Schneider's everything in every movie yeah. he's ever. Yeah. <laughs> but I, okay, I enjoy that movie. That's a rom-com that I like, and I don't, I'm not ashamed of it. And there shouldn't be no, shame with liking some bad rom-coms. <laughs> it is, I mean, okay, listen, Leap Year is one of my favorite rom-coms. It is a, not a good movie, but, but like, Amy Adams and Matthew Good's chemistry is, like, wild and they also do so many great tropes like fake married and having to share a bed so like i'm all about leap year not good but like i love it so i just i just think adam sandler is uh he doesn't quite have the chemistry i want there's a lot there Mm -hmm. there's there's not a lot there. i want he's a when you think about the fact that my favorite rom-com leading man is hugh grant you're telling me that you wouldn't put hugh grant and adam sandler on the same pedestal no, Willoughby, I would not. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but so speaking of all these like familiar people and like your question of like like star like younger stars and rom coms and stuff, like if we have this rom com renaissance, do you think we're going to get the repeat rom com actors again like we did with Hugh Grant, like we did with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan? Or do you think all the movies are gonna be kind of more spread out among their stars? I, I hope think that my we'll see theory both. is sorry. Oh. Oh. I was gonna say both, yeah. Too. I was gonna say like right now the movies because like movies are made a couple years in advance, so like we might get. Mm-hmm. I know, right? Wild. They don't just happen. Um, so like I think in the next six six to twelve months we'll get like movies that were before this renaissance, and then now that you know the internet has fallen in love with all the characters from to all the boys I loved before, so like. There, like there are these these movies that are going to come out that might define the next couple of years of rom coms, and they may have the same people. They may not. They may have similar archetypes of people. Like you might have another Mark Ruffalo type boy to fall Noah in love Centineo. with. Noah Centineo, <laughs> so cute. But he's also like in the upcoming um, Sierra, Sierra Bar- is, is, a, loser. is a loser. Yeah, so he's. He's, I think, gonna. We'll start seeing him in more of that stuff too because the audience has really responded responded to him well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, there's that. There might be that happening. <laughs> so, what do you think, HD? You were gonna. Yeah, I think that there is a market now for both young rom coms targeted to younger audiences, starring younger stars, as well as uh, older stars. And I really am excited to see older women uh, falling in love. Yes. And, and that, I think, is something that audiences are becoming more receptive to. We saw it with Meryl Streep and Mamma Mia. That was great. We saw it with um, Something's Gotta Give with uh, the uh, – what what's her name again? Um, the the writer of those uh, – um, oh, uh, Nora Ephron. Nora no, no. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Nora Ephron movies. Uh, who writes? Yeah, it's Nora Ephron, right? No. Yeah, Diane Keaton. Yeah, Diane Keaton started it with and the Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, <laughs> and I really want to see like older stars like be and shouldn't show that they are able to fall in love. Book club we had this year, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was because about the love lives know. of uh, of older women. Guess what? Like life does not end when you turn like forty. Mm-hmm. Like. 
you are still able to travel the world and fall in love and start new jobs. Like, which is why I'm excited for destination wedding. Yes, I think that it's you know it's another one of those of like. Not quite, you know, I guess they're technically middle-aged. Middle-aged. They're yeah. still very Hollywood attractive. Yeah, right? So, yeah. I hope, well, we see, you know. I hope we see more movies like Under the Tuscan Sun, for example, which I oh, love yes. with Diane Lane. Yes. Maybe we'll do a, another, a remake of it or another t- type of type of movie kind of like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think that there's just more room for the rom-com to really grow and expand beyond, like, just, like, what we're, what we're used to even. Even though we really love that formula, maybe we could see, like, the formula evolve in a way. And I wanted to ask you actually how would you like to see that formula evolve how would you like to see the rom-com evolve crystal sure so i think that i would love to see it evolve beyond like white man white woman like i would love because like one of my favorite books that i've read in the past year was uh simon versus the homo sapiens agenda and so obviously like love simon um which you know features well i don't want to give any spoilers away so i won't say but um but is not you know a heterosexual rom-com, you know, or see more Crazy Rich Asians where we're not seeing, you know, where we're opening the genre up to more audiences, more diverse audiences, um, because there's no need, everybody experiences love. There's no need for one type of person to have, you know, a movie they can look to that's a, their own comfort blanket, you know, so I would really like to see it expand in that way with way more diversity. And maybe it is taking some of the old rom-coms we know and love from the past, and revitalizing them for a more diverse audience or, or, new, or new, you know, ideas out there um, or new adaptations of books and, and things like that that really open this up for, for all new groups of people. Yeah, I yeah, totally I agree with that. Agreed, completely agreed. I want to yep. see more queer love stories. Yeah. Like, I mean, and yeah, it absolutely is a personal thing. Like, I want to see my story on screen. Like, you know, like, it's been so... I. I wrote an article about Crazy Rich Asians and, like, why queer people should support it because when diversity succeeds, we all win. And, like, it was so exciting seeing people I knew in my real life, like, seeing movies like that or To All the Boys I Love Before and, like, seeing themselves represented on screen. And so you see firsthand how powerful that is. And I want that for myself in movies. Like, Jenny's Wedding was not good. (laughs) I'm not going to accept that as a queer rom-com that we should like be like oh and because it wasn't good that like oh they don't work like we shouldn't do queer rom-coms anymore but like i i want to see those and clearly like there is a market for diversity out there like clearly yeah and you know love simon was a really great first step um and so i'm just hoping that we get more of those um because i i think that's really going to help just yeah representation and the genre itself evolve mm-hmm. yeah i've just had a great month right now by the way with crazy rich asians and to all the boys i love for a big double whammy for me in terms of representation and two very vastly different movies mm-hmm. crazy rich asians despite you know really celebrating and really just like embracing all the rom-com tropes and structures that it it has it has so many different types of influences in it it actually is not really a rom-com i would say like at the ending is more about the respect of of women and like the women's stories in general which i really admired and like the men feeling almost like tertiary but Mm -hmm. i i liked it regardless because it was just it was a celebration i think of both kinds of stories and that's what i really loved whereas all the boys i loved before was a very much a straight rom-com but with a different kind of protagonist and with the beautiful lovely uh fake dating trope which is one of my favorites as well and a rom-com lead um and love interests who are just so charming i fell in love all over again and and that's what i like it i like about rom-coms like they remind me what it's like to fall in love or like give a i make you fall in love make the feeling of falling in love feel fresh again and um I hope that there's more from now on. I hope that these aren't just like the be-all, end-all of what we see for diversity in rom-coms. And um, it's really exciting that, that rom-coms are expanding and evolving a little, evolving a little bit. And perhaps that um, even if they're stereotypical or formulaic, it feels more like, evolutionary because they have new fresh faces and uh, diverse faces. So it doesn't matter if it's uh, formulaic. It's, it's about seeing uh, different kinds of people and different kinds of stories um, in this, this structure that we know and love so much. Yeah. Um, so, Willoughby, as someone who is not as well-versed in rom-coms as the three of us, um, but you have seen some recent ones and you've enjoyed them, um, what have you been enjoying about them? And, like, are you looking forward to 
partaking in more rom-coms. I am. I will say, <clears throat> I cannot definitively say I'm, I want to see more of more representation of who I am in movies because <laughs> it's been done. <laughs> this is why you're one of the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I can't say like, yeah, I'd like to see more of my represent more representation of who I am in movies. It's like, nope, that's been done for a while, a but good hundred can... years. <laughs> um, and so like, I would say that I have been enjoying the filmmaking in these movies as well as like the story, like the cinematography into all the boys I've loved before is breathtaking. And also in crazy rich Asians, like the boat, both of them, you know, do things with camera work and color and lighting, uh, in ways that I haven't seen or maybe probably cause my lack of experience, but like th- they were both very well made movies. Yeah. It's no um, longer just set- point and shoot, which I like. Yeah. Set it was more traditionally traditional camera work yeah. like that. It was very like point and shoot and stuff. But I did think that like the, the locations were, were fun. Like I like the office setup of the, those of that story. And like they, they went to Yankee stadium and that was, that was, that was fun and stuff like that. And like, uh, yeah, there were like interesting spot locations in the, in that story, but I do think that the camera work was pretty rote. So I'd like to see more modern filmmaking styles and like new techniques. Like, get some good cinematographers who know their shit to go into these movies. And like, I because like it really is telling that like they put a lot of hard work into to all the boys I love before in the filmmaking because like the set dressing in uh. What's her character's name? Lara, Lara Jean. Jean. Mm-hmm. Lara Jean's room is amazing, and the 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 cinematography is so well done. The lighting looks astounding. The yeah. shot shot angles are really good, and I think that it's got like an interesting color palette. And so, like, I think I'd like to see more more um, interesting takes on filmmaking in these movies because I feel like these are stories that can do a lot, especially now with like the 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 thing that uh is really hard is to convey text messaging in movies and so like i really like the way they did it in uh both crazy rich asians and to all the boys i love before like they did some really interesting stuff with like how message how text messaging gets across um to to other people because it's like one of the hardest things it's like how do you do a movie with text messaging on screen and like not make it be just boring i can plug um, for searching by the way <laughs> don't see that because <laughs> it'll, it'll it's a great it's a great example and i that's think true. that's such a good point will it be like we, we're talking about like the diversity and uh, you know more evolved stories and everything and which is really great but like i think it's very telling the fact that like more traditional rom-coms like didn't put as much like effort or creativity into their filmmaking because it was just like oh these are traditional like formulaic films for women like they don't need like to try anything new or, you know, to be experimental in any way. And so I think like, that's also a sign of the kind of evolving rom-com space is the fact that like you can get directors and cinematographers who maybe are a little more interesting and are willing to do different things with the genre and filming it than just a simple point and shoot that we have been very used to in the rom-com space. Yeah. yeah, like one thing, one thing's from To All the Boys I Love Before, which I noticed almost never really happens except in Wes Anderson movies, is characters staring down the barrel of the gun, or in this case, the camera, and yeah. like in the middle of the screen, like flat in the middle, like not to the side, not to, you know, like not like they were instead of doing over the shoulder, uh, they were doing in between. Uh, yeah. the people and I thought that that was actually a, l- a lot more personal than doing over the shoulder shots mm. and so it was one of those like little things where uh, I mean like you might notice it if you haven't studied film but if you did study film it's like a big almost no-no is to put ca- like objects and and especially people right in the middle of the screen it's that it's why Wes Anderson's movies always look different than anybody else because they, he always does like the middle of the of the screen as like the of like where you should have your eye focused but traditional filmmaking is like oh no you gotta t- put things off to the side so your eye can move yeah Wes um, anderson our most so, like, symmetrical auteur exactly <laughs> so like when you have when you break the rules and have someone like in the middle of the screen it's different and it's noticeable and you, you you may not know exactly what you're feeling, but you do feel a sense of like a different thing going on, especially in that movie where like you have Lara Jean and 
Peter, Peter Kavinsky. Kavinsky. Peter, Peter Kavinsky. Kavinsky. Like looking at each other, but it almost looks like they're looking at you in the camera. And it makes the audience like a third member of the of this uh, couple. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I love that. Um, and do you guys have anything else that you want um, to see in the future of rom-coms? More ginger men. <laughs> to be honest, Donald we get we, we, there's Donald ginger women. You know, you get, about you time. get your Amy Adams, but like, where's your Prince Harry's? Well, your hey, uh, your Willoughby Dobbs's. Speaking of Rachel McAdams, Donald Gleason and her were in a rom com together. True. Donald, he better do more rom coms. And that is one of those like one of those like one off great rom coms that came. It was like 2013, I think. Mm-hmm. So it was like in the dead period of rom coms, but it was kind of like that one off like bright mm-hmm. light. But then it never like created a movement yeah it was a big surprise he's so oh. good i mean yeah, richard it, curtis yeah he is such a great rom-com and writer. it needs to be D- donald gleason in with his red hair it can't be oh i've dyed it blonde no fuck that <laughs> 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 donald, it's like ginger accept it yeah, yeah. life exactly donald. we stand donald gleason on this podcast and all gleason's <laughs> all the gleason's donald Yep. And the rest of the Gleason clan. <laughs> uh, just one rom-com fe- featuring all the Gleasons. The Family Stone, but with the Gleasons. <clears throat> the I Family Stone. make Gleason. that movie. <gasps> like an Irish HG. verse. An Irish verse. Make it very Irish. Oh HT, you talk to famous people. Can you get me Donald Gleason's number? <laughs> oh, yeah. Or, I totally have Brent it on speed Gleason. dial. <laughs> sure. I have an idea. All right. Um, really just... Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> So I think that's a good way to wrap up our discussion about rom-coms. But before we move on to the next segment of our episode, we have a word from our sponsors. The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by comedy. It's about timing. So let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Our guest this week, Cristela, why don't you start us off? What do you really like this week? So something that I've been working really hard on that I really like is um, a fundraiser that uh, a friend has put together that I'm helping with, like, the marketing and social media on is a live reading of The Goonies with all proceeds going to Rice as the organization um, in Texas working to help uh, unite families at the border um, and also just other immigration um, issues. So we've got a great cast that I'm so excited about. We still are nailing down a few more people, but we've got uh, Mark Evan Jackson. We've got Jolo Truglio. We've got Brittany Snow, Eliza Coop, um, Gina Rodriguez, Haley Joel Osment as Sloth, which is like perfect. Um, so we've got like a really great cast and I just, I'm very excited to like be working on this and, um, be working with these people and the friend of mine who, uh, who put it all together, uh, Molly. So yeah, I mean, follow us on, uh, on Twitter, uh, at the Goonies live and on uh, Instagram at the Goonies live 2018. Yeah. We'll plug <laughs> on, the, on the blog. Um, for anyone in the LA area, the yes. show is September 22nd, yes. which is a Saturday night, um, at the Montalban theater in Hollywood. Yes, please come. <laughs> and so, yeah, it sounds very exciting. Mm-hmm. Also, I just want to shout out to Mark Evan Jackson for being amazing with the Good Place podcast. Yeah. Which I've been listening for, to for just being Mark Evan Jackson. He's great. And for just being Mark Evan He's Jackson. He's our narrator. He's going to be so great. Oh, yes. That's awesome. He's got <laughs> such a good voice. Mm-hmm. He's a naughty bitch. <laughs> he chose the role of a 45-year-old man for only one reason. He can only fail up. Fail upwards. <laughs> yeah. So All right. good. Anya, why don't you go next? What's your really like this week? So my really like is a giant trip down nostalgia line. Nostalgia lane. Nostalgia line. (laughs) Nostalgia line. Um, Nostalgia lane for one of my favorite HBO shows. Is it Succession? It's no, because that's not nostalgic. (laughs) Are you rewatching Succession again, Anya? I mean. I would, because that is a fantastic show. One of the best pieces of media in the year of our Lord 2018. That Watch Succession. Okay. Watch it. But no, mine is um, a little earlier. It's actually a show that is celebrating its 10-year anniversary this upcoming Friday, September 7th. Oh, I can guess what it is. Will you make a guess? Flight of the Concords. It's not. What? Oh. Okay. One of my favorite HBO shows that I've been re-watching lately is True Blood. 
Oh yeah! So my, my two of my roommates were watching Vampires. it. For, yeah, two of my roommates were watching it for the first time. I watched it when it aired, and I was a huge fan. When I say huge fan, I mean me and my friends had viewing parties for all the new episodes, where we only ate and drank red things. That's like, intense. We, like we would do like red velvet cupcakes and like licorice and Shirley Temples and strawberries. That's amazing. And yeah, only we only had. Blood. <laughs> I mean ketchup. Don't you? <laughs> Just ketchup straight up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so True Blood Tomatoes. was one of my like favorite shows, and I haven't watched it since it finished airing. And so now that my roommates are watching it, I've been going back and rewatching it with them, and it just is bringing me so much joy because I remember how much I love this show and Stephen Moyer. <sighs> Dreamy sigh, Stephen Moyer. You're not a, a Scarsgard fan. Ooh, no, 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 no. Stephen Moyer, Bill, all the way, Bill Compton, my heart. He's he's a tall, like older British man. Like, what do you want me to do? He's literally my type to a T. That's so Like, I'm, I'm weak for him. You and Anna Paquin agree, so. Oh, yeah, we do. Also, they're so cute together. Um, and so, and it made me think that I feel like people have, like, a vampire story that is, like, their favorite. Like, they might watch other ones, but, like, for <coughs> me, Buffy was never my thing, <coughs> Vampire Academy, Vampire Diaries, Twilight, but True Blood was, like, my, that was my vampire show. That was my vampire story. And, like, for you, HG, I think it's Buffy. Oh, definitely. And I, I, I was thinking about that. I wonder if people, like, if everyone has, like, a vampire story that is, like, their preferred version of vampire lore. Because um, mine, yeah, definitely True Blood, with some interview on the vampire on, on the side, because Tom Cruise as Lestat is perfect it's so interesting because tom cruise as the thought was such a far left uh casting choice but then you realize now that he was basically playing himself and he was perfect he was so yeah i feel like this surprises people when i tell them i'm a big true blood fan but it did surprise me actually i didn't know that and i was a little yes. bit surprised when you just said that so i was like oh okay yes True Blood was my jam. I think it's because it's so, like, I love the politics of that universe. Like, the vampire politics and how, like, batshit it goes. Yeah, they have, like, queens or whatever. Mm -hmm. They do. Um, Evan Rachel Wood Evan Rachel Wood plays. The queen. Vampire queen. It has a great, it has, like, Adina Porter. It has um, Alexander Skarsgård, who is now a Golden Globe winner. Emmy winner? Mm. I think he's an Emmy winner. Big Little Lies. That's yeah, all the, I got Emmy for Big Little Lies. I, I think it was an Emmy. Might have been both. He wants something. Yeah. Um, but it just has so many big, great people in that show. Um, and I just really love True Blood, you guys. I've watched it, and I like it. But I, I binged it, so I barely remember any of it. But I just remember at one point, it, it was just like, there's a lot going on here. Oh, it is bonkers. Yeah. It was too it much goes for me. pretty that shit pretty quickly. Oh, absolutely. And I love that. <laughs> I can't, I don't know if I have a favorite vampire story because I'm not into vampires as much as I am werewolves. Yeah, that makes sense. That's fair. Werewolves like, are your if thing. We had to, if we had to choose like a side in the in like the evolution movies or whatever they're called. Uh, Underworld. Uh, Underworld movies, I'd be on the on the Lycan side. Like, well, I mean, the Lycans are also Michael Sheen. I was so gonna say Michael, would. Michael Sheen was on the Lycan side, so that makes total sense. Wait, in the in the Underworld movies, yeah, that's where he, he met Kate Beckinsale. Okay, there's another dumb question. Are they together? Oh my oh god! My oh my god! <laughs> it was like a whole big can of worms that you don't seem to have time for. <laughs> okay, Willoughby. Okay, side. We're gonna take a little side stroll. Um. Michael Sheen met Kate Beckinsale oh, on the set of the first Underworld movie, and they fell in love, and they had a daughter together, Lily Sheen, and then they separated. Michael Sheen was with Rachel McAdams for a time, which I was oh, very shit. into, and then they broke up. They met on the set of Midnight in Paris, and then after they broke up, Michael Sheen got with Sarah Silverman, and they were also perfect together. Sarah Silverman, Damn, Sheen? Sarah Silverman and Kate Beckinsale became, like, best friends. It was adorable. But then... Michael Sheen and Sarah Silverman broke up. Mutual breakup. They still support each other. It's wonderful. Michael Sheen and Kate Beckinsale now are like life partners. They are with each other all the time. They just did goat yoga together for Lily's birthday. And like they're so in love, but in this like great platonic supportive way. And so now I'm just kind of like maybe never be with anyone else and just like be life partners for the rest of your life because they're so perfect and they love each other so much. And they have a daughter and they're so wonderful and they constantly comment on each other's Instagrams. And it's so great. I'm obsessed with the Sheen Beckinsale family. Anya, are you okay? I would no, totally watch a rom-com not. about that. 
Yes. Ooh, that's a good one. I, yes. When, if you mention Michael Sheen to me and, like, his love life, I get very passionate. A co-parenting rom-com. See that. Well, that's what life is. We know it is, but yeah. it's fine. Yeah, it's about platonic love. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, mind's blown. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just like, I like the, how the werewolves go, oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, who's really like, is it now? Is it, okay. Willoughby. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like? What do you, you like, like though? Do you like Michael Sheen? <laughs> Speaking of things that go, oh, I've been watching BuzzFeed Unsolved um, with my girlfriend. We've been binging. We, we decided to watch the supernatural stuff first, and we've gotten through all that. So now we've started watching the true crime seasons. Um, and it's amazing. It's the exact type of millennial nihilist humor that I love. And, like, it's so funny and, like, exactly what I want in, like, a Ghost Hunters type show where it just features, like, millennials who are, like, not scared of anything. But then also Ryan Vergara, who's, like, terrified of everything. And so, like, you have this best of both worlds where you have, like, a skeptic and, and like, a believer. And, like, their chemistry is so good. Like, we watched the first season of uh, True Crime with the first host the first Brent. Host, yeah Brent. he's okay he doesn't have like the personality that shane has and no. so like i'm really glad that they like dumped him for shane you know why i don't know why so buzzfeed recently celebrated their um 70th i think it's anniversary the yes <laughs> their 69th episode <laughs> yeah, like, actually they're almost 70th episode yeah, they're almost 70th episode because Ryan didn't want to call it the 69th. Um, <laughs> and in the anniversary episode, they had Brent on there, and they were like, "You might recognize him, or maybe not." Brandanowitz of he's the Mark Brandanowitz. No, he really is. And so the reason Brent left is because he started getting too freaked out by things. Yeah, he started becoming a believer. But oh, I think yeah. he also transferred to another BuzzFeed department, too. He probably did. But I remember on the, on the anniversary episode, they talked about how Brent was like, it was just becoming too much. And I was like, oh. I but now I was, have Shane. When I was watching it, I actually didn't notice that they switched white guys. <laughs> until, like, Fair. I was, like, well into Shane's run. I was like, wait, wasn't there a different guy at the beginning? <laughs> yeah, because when, when we watched Supernatural, the first episode is with Brent, and then it immediately switches to Shane. And I was like, okay, so they did, like, a pilot. They didn't like him. And then they go on with this other guy. But then I go back and watch True Crime, and in the first, the, almost the entire season is with uh, Brent. And I was like, yeah. oh. He's the okay. Mark Brandanowitz. Yeah, and they, they, they don't even address it. No, they, they don't. Go, You're Shane. It's their you own know, unsolved and- mystery. Important question, Willoughby. Yes. Am I a Shaniac or a Bugar? Bugara. Yep. Because, okay, so for, for everyone's memory and everything, HT is a diehard Bugara. I am a diehard Shaniac. Crystal, what are you? I think a Bugara. She's a Bugara? Yes. Yeah. Willoughby? So here's the thing. I believe in everything that he's be- he believes in. Although there are some stuff that is just like when they repeat back like voices in the, in the, in the, in the whatever box it is. You mean like Apple Tater? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. The if Ghost Box, yeah. No, I've watched all of Supernatural. Oh uh, right, yeah, yeah. Okay. The BuzzFeed Unsolved Supernatural. So like, I know what the Spirit Box. So yeah, like, there's that some stuff. That, yeah, like there's stuff that I like don't believe that what he's hearing is right. But then there's other stuff where I'm like, okay, that definitely sounded like macaroni or whatever. Like you know, <laughs> and so like I definitely think that there's something there's something weird going on. But I think I prefer Shane's humor. Like his is he's he's funnier. You're avoiding the answer, the question. Are you Am a believer? I? Or are you a skeptic? Will it be? Are you a Shaniac or a Bugara? I'm definitely a believer. So you're a Bugara. I'm the only Shaniac on this podcast. I don't think I would subscribe Shaniac to labels for life. <laughs> the thing is, like, I you know, like, I'm definitely I believe in ghosts and I believe in aliens, but like, I don't know. I would consider myself on one side. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> no, okay, Shaniacs. I'm a Bugara. All right, so. My really like this week is a another Asian-led movie called Searching, starring John Cho. Uh, a year after, or two years after, the hashtag starring John Cho uh, movement came about, in which uh, people photoshopped John Cho's face onto the um, the posters of various 
uh, blockbusters. And now here he is starring in his own thriller. Uh, star- so Searching is a, um, a screen life movie, which is a movie that takes place entirely on computer and phone screens. And it's about a father whose daughter goes missing. And he tries to uncover more about her life and discovers that he doesn't know his daughter as much as he thought he did. And it's a really great suspense uh, thriller and it's just there's so many twists that keep getting thrown onto the screen that you don't expect and that re- that build really well and it's one of the few like screen life movies in which the internet is not the villain in this case it's just right. a, it's a, a classic are like horror films yeah where it's like you know what unfriended it's not like that yeah. it's definitely like a a classic uh, traditional thriller, but just told through the screens that we always look at. So it's it's done really well. Never once does it really feel like a gimmick. Uh, I highly recommend it. John Cho is amazing, and I'm so happy that this could prove that he may be, he, that he should be the a next action, the next lead, um, male, like Hollywood lead. He really should. Justice for Selfie. Hmm? Justice for Selfie. Justice for Selfie. Also, you should all see Columbus last year. From last year, it's so good. It stars him and uh, Haley Lou Richardson, and it's a it's a really beautiful, tender, and uh, sort of meditative uh, film. So uh, he's doing great. Searching is really good. Uh, Asian August is a is going great, guys. Although it's September now, but I'm really happy. I'm having the time of my life, and go see Searching. Awesome. Um, well, that is our episode. If you guys want to come chat with us about rom-coms or John Cho and Searching, True Blood, BuzzFeed Unsolved, or The Goonies and other fundraising great events, come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We're also on SoundCloud, and you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. And where can they find you guys? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. You can find me at Cristal underscore S on Twitter. And you can, on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us. And thank you, Cristela, for joining us as well. We'll see you later, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.